Hey everyone, turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 5, verse 13. James chapter 5, verse 13. Now you might be wondering, Rob, what does James chapter 5, verse 13 have to do with strong women of the Bible? Well, we're going to tie it in. You're going to see, and I think you're going to appreciate it. Um, but James chapter 5, verse 13, if you don't know where the book of James is, beginning of your Bible, table of contents, go ahead and use it. James chapter 5, verse 13, here's what it says. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. And I pray, Lord, that as we're looking into your word, as we're studying Hannah and trying to learn more about what it means to be in relationship with you and live this life through the lens of looking at Hannah, I pray, Lord, that we would have eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that are open to you today. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen. Um, I don't know for how many of you uh, that you are married, uh, maybe newly married, maybe some of you are dating, maybe some of you are looking to be dating. <laughs> um, but it's interesting. I find that there are conversations that people start with us where there's an expectancy that we would have. So for example, if you're in, in our region here, if you are single and you are in your 20s, the question you're getting is, when are you going to find a boyfriend or find a girlfriend, right? And, and it's almost as if you're a spinster, for a woman anyway, if you get to the age of 25 and you don't have a man in your back pocket somewhere, right? And, and so like it's this idea of what is your next thing, right? So you're single, they wanna know when are you gonna find a man? And when you find one, or when are you gonna find a woman? And when you find one, the next question is, hey, when are you guys getting married? That's just the next question. When are you getting married, right? And so there's all this pressure that people are applying to you and they're, they're just looking at what this next expectation for your life trajectory is going to be. And then when you get married, you know what the next question is, right? When are you having kids? And it's always the next question. If you don't have kids and people are looking at you all weird and be like, but you're married. Why wouldn't you have kids, right? And so there's this expectancy or, or and this level of expectation on you to have kids. Well, that kind of brings us to this character in the Bible we want to talk about by the name of Hannah. Uh, our text today actually deals with the strong woman of faith. She's facing a difficult season in life that really lasts for an extended period of time. And there were likely times when Hannah was tempted to give up. Likely times when um, she just hit rock bottom and just didn't know where else to turn. But in these darker times that she has had, she remained committed to the Lord trusting him regardless of whether or not she got what she desired. Now, what she ultimately desired, we'll learn from the text today, was a child. That's what Hannah wanted, but not just any kind of child. She specifically wanted a son. That's a, that's a big deal for um, women in that era because not only was a son um, a symbol of God's favor on you. Uh, it was a statement of a woman's worth, but it was also then her retirement because women weren't able to own property and these kinds of things. And so then there's a lot involved with what it meant to have a son. If you have your Bibles with you, I know that I had you turn to James chapter 5, verse 13, but I want you to turn all the way back in the Old Testament to 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we're going to be walking through verses 1 to 20. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 to 20. And, and what we have here in the story is the 
expectation that once married, you were going to have children. And if you couldn't have children, then there was just this despair that overwhelmed you. And so we start off in our story, verses 1 to 8, and we begin with identifying who's involved in the narrative. Okay, so the Bible describes uh, this guy here by name of Elkanah as a son of Jeroham. And they're from the tribe of Levi. Now, the tribe of Levi, uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, the tribe of Levi is the priestly tribe. This is the tribe that serves in the temple. This is a tribe that uh, the high priest is to come from. So this is the priestly tribe, and they don't actually own any land. There's no property. They are a roaming tribe in amongst the other peoples of Israel. And so they were living in the days of the book of Judges. So if you remember way back when we're looking, for example, at somebody like Deborah, and we were giving some context to the book of Judges, Judges was this dark period in the life of Israel where they would sin against God and then he would give them over to their sin and then they were um, overwhelmed by their enemies and then they cry out to God and he sends a deliverer and, and then they turn back towards him, there's victory, they praise him, and there's just this cycle that goes on and on and on. And the last verse in the book of Judges says, and in those days they had no king and people did what was right in their own eyes. This is the time that our story takes place. It's in that context. And so the opening verses um, of our text reveal the extreme difficulty that Hannah actually faced in all of this. In verse 2, talking about Elkanah, it says this, he had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Paniah. Paniah had children, but Hannah had none. And so what we find here is that Elkanah had these two wives, Paniah and Hannah. Paniah had kids, but Hannah wasn't able to have kids. And it says here, after a year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, Eli was the high priest, um, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Paniah, and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, listen to this, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. Verse 5 reveals that the Lord had shut the womb of Hannah, right? It's the idea that she was unable to conceive. Her husband loves her. He desires a relationship with her. He tries to honor her and, and say, look, here, take a double portion of the meat for sacrifice so that uh, you can feel as though you are doing more with the Lord in terms of your relationship. She wanted to have kids but wasn't able to. And this is almost unbearable for her. And the situation was completely outside of her control. There was nothing she could do to make herself fertile in order to be able to have a kid. So unfortunately... There are those who can identify with Hannah. Some, some women desire to have kids. And for whatever reason, they're unable to conceive. And while we all can't relate directly to Hannah's difficulty, all of us can also say then that we've had difficulties in life that were outside of our control, and we needed to rely on the Lord to be able to bring some kind of solace to us in the midst of those difficulties. Regardless of how much we desired a different outcome, we were unable to change our circumstances. And so you could say that for Hannah, one of the things we know about her is that she was barren. She was unable to have kids. We also know that she was belittled. 
And I don't know what it's like for you. If you've ever been belittled by somebody, if you've ever been degraded by someone, uh, especially on the basis of something that you can't control, um, like that's absolutely brutal. I remember uh, listening to a comedian one day and he was talking about how he was bullied in school for being overweight. And his response being very quick-witted, even though it wasn't a nice response, but being quick-witted, he said this. He said, listen, uh, I might be fat, but you're stupid and I can change. Right? Like, it's just a horrible thing to say. But, but sometimes that hostility that we experience from people on the basis of things that, um, that are difficult in our lives causes us to act in ways that are, that are hard and, and sometimes embittered. What we know is that in her situation here, she was belittled. In verse 6, it says, Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Now, her rival is Paniah at this point. And, and we don't know exactly why they're rivals. There's a clue in the passage. The idea that, that Elkanah loved Hannah. Um, possibly there was some jealousy from Paniah towards her on that. And so because of that, she would lean into the idea that she was able to bear children for Elkanah, but Hannah wasn't as a means to try and level the playing field maybe in some way. We don't actually know. What we do know is that there was some bitterness that was taking place there. Verse 7 says, This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Like, have you ever been ridiculed or provoked or someone being so hostile to you that it brought you to a place of weeping and losing your appetite? The family dynamics created a difficult environment for Hannah. Paniah used Hannah's barrenness to ridicule her, to belittle her, and this added to the misery that Hannah was experiencing, the despair that she felt. And not only was she unable to bear children, but she also had to endure the relentless mocking from this other bride. I'll suggest to you that the enemy likes to use others to add to our despair in seasons of difficulty. And this is just one of the tactics he uses to challenge our faith. We've all dealt with mockery or ridicule or some form of bullying or, or just something we didn't appreciate from others. And these times, they're obviously not enjoyable. But it's also not a reason to abandon our faith. And this is one of the lessons we're going to learn about Hannah. Like Jesus endured ridicule by those he came to save, and yet he remained committed to the Father's will for our salvation. And if Jesus is to be our model to emulate and to be like, then even when we're experiencing ridicule, we still seek the best of the other. So we understand that Hannah, she was barren. We understand that she was belittled. I think it's safe to say that she was broken. When you read verse 7, this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, for her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. And so this ridicule would become so intense that it began to have adverse effects on Hannah's health. Whether it be, you could look at it here, it's certainly her physical health because she wasn't able to eat, but obviously her mental health. And it damaged her, it wounded her. So in her despair and brokenness, Hannah wept and she just refused to eat. The burden she faced daily had gotten to the place that it dominated her life. Hannah's faith was being put to the ultimate test. And I think a lot of us can relate to Hannah in this regard. 
Most of us have dealt with stress or worry at some point, which eventually began to affect our health, right? Like, have you ever been so stressed or feeling such a great sense of despair or discouragement or put in whatever word there you want that you couldn't either sleep or eat or go outside or, or enjoy the things that maybe you once enjoyed? In these moments, we are vulnerable to attack from the enemy. In our moments of deep despair, he seeks to destroy our faith and cause us to question God's love and faithfulness. And he does so often by isolating us from others and, and causing us to move away from relationship instead of towards relationship, both with him and with others. He wants us to believe that God no longer cares about our needs and has abandoned us during our dark times. Like this is Hannah's scenario. Despair, brokenness, ridicule. Like there's nothing about her life outside of the love that her husband has for her. Everything else seems miserable for her. And yet what we find in verses 9 to 16 is a, a determination that I think we can all be encouraged by and to try and emulate. Hannah didn't succumb to the brokenness and despair. Rather, she, rather than give in to defeat, she rose above in faith. Like, consider this. In verse 10, we look at what we could refer to as her fervent prayer, right? In, deep ang sorry, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody weep bitterly in prayer. But what we find there is that there is such a desperation for an answer from the Lord or for a reliance from the, on the Lord, like some connection to the Lord. Hannah's situation hadn't changed yet. She remained in deep distress in her soul, but she refused to give up. She poured her heart out to the Lord, weeping in front of Him, and shared her heart's desire. And Hannah knew that God alone was able to meet her need and change her situation. It didn't guarantee that he would change it, but she knew that he alone was the one able to. And while it's not an enjoyable place for Hannah to be, it's right where she needed to be at that moment in her life. Trials and adversity are never enjoyable, but they have a potential to bring us actually closer to the Lord. And the truth be told, in our humanness, this also has potential to take us away from the Lord. In coming towards the Lord, it's actually where we receive life. Moving away from the Lord, we experience a sense of loss and death and despair. And so typically we either seek the Lord or knowing that He alone can meet our needs, or we grow bitter feeling as if He's abandoned us. We need to respond like Hannah and make our request known to Him. And so we have this fervent prayer. We, we have her promise that she makes in verse 11. She says, so she makes this vow, right? She's saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. No razor will ever be used on his head. And so during this great despair, Hannah remains committed to the Lord. She desired a child more than anything else in life. And yet she promised that like, if God gives her this kid, she's going to give this child back to him in service to him. She would give the child in service to the Lord. She was willing to offer the Lord the one thing she desired most in life. She would allow her son to live with Eli, the high priest, 
and serve the Lord there instead of raising him at home. That's an interesting thing. I mean, very often, if I'm asking God for something, if there's something that I desperately want, I don't want to give it up once I have it. And yet here we have Hannah praying for something. She wants it so desperately, so desperately, that she's willing to hand it back over to the Lord for the Lord's leading rather than her own. And so although Hannah had likely dealt with the bitterness and jealousy in the past, she had reached the place that she was now willing to submit herself to the Lord's desire. Any jealousy she experienced, any great grief that she had, was replaced with a great peace from the Lord. And it kind of brings us to these two questions I think that are important. Are we willing to submit ourselves to the Lord in this way? Like we have these great desires in life, right? And, and some of them are selfish, and I get that. Like I, I have selfish desires that I, that, you know, I do my best not to ask them of the Lord, but I know that I do. But then there's these other things that I deeply, deeply desire. And so I bring them to the Lord. And I think for me to wrestle with this question of, if God answers the prayer in the affirmative, right? Like if I get the things that I'm desiring, am I willing to surrender it all back to Him for His purposes, for His glory? I'd like to think so. I think it's a hard question. I think an equally hard question is, it is actually both of those together, right? But it's, are we willing to offer our greatest desire to the Lord regardless of where that might lead? It reminds me of the underground church. I heard a story of a, of a mom in China, um, and this would be in the area where evangelical uh, thought, evangelical mission was not encouraged in China. And so this mom had already lost two sons uh, to evangelism. Uh, see, what would happen is, is that they would get trained up and they get sent out, and, and there's this acknowledgement that when a child gets sent out, it's highly likely that they're either going to be imprisoned or died for their faith. And so when they get sent out, uh, it's not uncommon for moms to feel a great sense of loss because they often feel like this is the last time they're going to see their kid. And so there's this story of a mom who lost two of her boys already, and then there was this third son who wanted to go out. And the mom knew that he was a gift from God, and yet at the same time loved the Lord so much that she wanted to see his gospel preached. And she resolved herself to affirm that he needed to go out. And she never saw him again. Are we willing to offer our desires up to the Lord regardless of the outcome? I think very often we think of God as one who is responsible just to make sure that we are comfortable or we get what we want out of life. Um, don't actually read that in the Bible. More often than not, what I find is that there is supposed to be such a surrender to the Lord and such a confidence in Him and His purposes um, that sometimes His purposes come into conflict with our own and we need to be willing to choose His. It's not, so, it's not God being on my team. It's me being on His. Remember, He's the creator, I'm not. And so it's me being on His team. And when I'm on His team, better things happen for His glory. But am I willing to surrender my greatest desire regardless of where that might lead? I think these kinds of things require a lot of faith. I pray that the Lord will increase my faith 
and my commitment to him as it relates to these kinds of things. But this is what Hannah was doing. She had this great desire, and she recognized that in this great desire, if God was to fulfill this great desire of hers, she was going to give her son back into the service of the Lord. Her son's name was Samuel. Samuel was one of the judges over Israel. Samuel was the prophet who uh, communicated God's will to Saul, who appointed Saul. Samuel was the one who found David and appointed David. Like Samuel is a pretty critical figure Within the, within the transition between the judges and the kings. And so he was used mightily by God for God's purposes, but Hannah needed to give him over to God, right? But you also find that she had a focused sense of, in her presence. Uh, chapter 1, verses 12 to 16 say this, As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice wasn't heard. I just want to pause there for a second. Like, have you ever been in such anguish? Because remember, she's coming, she's praying, she's before the Lord, she's weeping bitterly, praying earnestly, and it's so much so that her mouth was moving, but no audible voice was coming out. You ever been in that place? Like such groaning of your heart that your mouth was moving, but nobody could hear what you were saying. It tells us here that Eli thought she was drunk. And he says to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Right? So he immediately is challenging her and saying, listen, look, like how long are you going to be like this? Right? Like get the wine away. It's time for this to stop. Right? And she says, not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply Troubled, I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And I prayed to the Lord, and it caught the attention of Eli. And as he watched her, he see, again, like he sees her mouth moving, no words are coming out. He assumes she's drinking, um, and he confronts her, and she assures him that she hasn't been drinking. And her faithful commitment and desire was noticed and recognized by Eli. You know, in times of doubt and accusation, we've got to remain focused on our need and persistence in prayer and our focus on Jesus. Even if no one else understands, God does. Even if you look ridiculous to other people from the outside in terms of what you are doing and how it is working, it's not to God. He sees, he knows, and he cares. And then in verse 17 to 20, we see that Hannah gets this delight. In verse 17 to 20, now we don't know exactly how long Hannah desired a child, but we do know that she had dealt with this burden for several years. Her persistent faith and commitment to the Lord eventually brought the result that she desired. And we find that Verse 17 and 18, that her, her petition towards the Lord, right? Like her prayer and petition to the Lord, constantly coming to the Lord, seeking and asking, seek and ask, seek and ask. It was granted. Eli answered, go in peace and may God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went on her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. 
So following her time in fervent prayer at the tabernacle, Hannah's life began to change. At this point, she hadn't conceived a child yet or even knew whether or not she would. But she now enjoyed peace from the Lord, that his presence was there regardless. Eli had offered his blessing and Hannah's hope was renewed. She began to eat again. Her face was now filled with joy instead of sadness. She didn't know yet whether or not God would grant her request. But her faith was renewed and she enjoyed a positive outlook. Look, life's going to have its share of trials and difficulties. We have no control over what that looks like in terms of the things that come our way that are outside of our control. I'm not talking about the things that happen because of our decisions. But sometimes things happen in life that are outside of our control. We're not promised a life of ease. Like, this is important. I really wonder, like, how difficult faith must be when we presume that God's primary concern is our happiness instead of our holiness. Things aren't going to be easy all the time. But the believer is promised a constant companion in the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit's with us at all times. He's the comforter. And Jesus promises that he'll be with us. Right? Like, so Jesus says, look, i got to go to the Father so that I can send you the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter, who will be with you. Right? Like, this is the language. And the Spirit can bring peace to our hearts even when the storm continues to rage. That's what's going on with Hannah. It's not as if when she left the tabernacle that she had an immediate answer. The storm was still there, but she was able to face it with peace. Her face was no longer downtrodden. And she looked up because she recognized the presence of God. And so if you're burdened, bring your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. You may not find the answer you desire, but I'm certain you can find peace and strength that you need in order to continue with the Lord. Her praise was offered in chapter nine, in uh, chapter one, verse nineteen, and they rose up the next early uh, next morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to the house of Rama. So bear in mind that at this moment Hannah had not yet conceived, and all we hear from Hannah's life at this point is this turmoil, and she goes to the Lord in her turmoil. This is the first time we see that it's not a language of turmoil that she's coming to the Lord with, but she gets up and she worships. She has received peace in her heart, but her prayer is not fully answered. It doesn't hinder Hannah from praising the Lord and worshiping Him. And I'm absolutely convinced that she's praising God for who He is because there's no evidence that she's praising God for something she's about to get. She's praising God for who He is. And we can do that in our dark times. I'm reminded that even in the valley, God is good. He is worthy of our praise and our worship, even in the midst of our trials. And actually, to be honest with you, sometimes those are the deepest, most profound times I've had with the Lord. Because I'm not in the way as much. I don't think as highly as myself as I perhaps normally would. We don't worship Him so that He'll answer our prayers. We worship God because He's Lord and He's Sovereign. And he's bigger than us. And he's the creator of all things. And we, by his grace, exist. If we wait until every prayer is answered before we praise him, I don't think we're going to be worshiping him very much. 
Praise Him because of who He is, not because of what we get from Him in, in terms of a soul focus. We praise Him for grace even when we don't have some of the specific things that we're looking for. So ask yourself this question. And I think this is a, this is a really hard one for me to ask myself, but here's the question. If I never receive another blessing from God, like ever, is He still good? If I think about all the blessings that I've had in my life up until now, and if I never, not one, get another blessing from God, is He still good? And that tells us a lot about our relationship and our understanding of Him, doesn't it? That's a hard question. But we do find that for Hannah in verses 19 and 20, that ultimately her prayer does get answered. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. It's the idea that the language of remembering her isn't that he forgot her. It's the idea that he, he fulfilled that desire of having a child. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, because I've asked the Lord for him. And so in his time, according to his divine plan, God answers Hannah's prayer. Granted, she had dealt with this burden for several years. But God honors her faithfulness. Her commitment to the Lord brought blessing from the Lord. And God gave her a son, Samuel. She chose that name because she had pleaded with the Lord and he had been faithful to her. He had given her the heart's desire that she had. And God is faithful to hear and answer prayers of the redeemed. Now, He may not answer in, in the time frame that we desire or even in the manner that we desire. But He will provide His time, in His time, and according to His will for our lives. So there are sometimes things I've prayed for that God has said no to because there are other things that He's got intended for me that are better. Like that's, that's an important way, outlook that we need to have on some of these things. Sometimes we pray for one thing, but getting that one thing will hinder the better thing that God would have for us. And so I, I just, my prayer, I try, I don't always succeed, but I try to have it go in the direction of Lord. I know what I want, but I know that you want better. And so I want what you want in my life. And so whatever you think that is, Lord, that's what I want but here's what I want, right? So it's like this, I have my desire, Lord, I'm going to present my desire to you, but I want your desire more than mine. And hopefully they align. And I think that's a better way for us to be, better be praying. It's easy to get discouraged in the face of temptation to abandon our faith, but we got to be like Hannah and remain persistent in the prayer. And it may take years of committed prayer, but that's okay. Like we're told to pray and, and, and pray with petitioning. And, and so we're constantly to come to the Lord and bringing these things to Him. And, and sometimes He's going to say, yeah, that's exactly what you need. And, but I need you to pray and petition and, and, and remain faithful in this because you're going to learn something in that process before you get it. You're going to value that thing even more. And sometimes He's going to say, no, not this thing, but I've got this other thing here that's better for you. God will answer the prayer. It's just not always exactly how we want it. And so when we look at Hannah's life, Hannah's life is a journey of faith. It's a burden that lasted several years, but she continued to pray and seek the Lord. She was even willing to offer the very desire of her heart to the Lord when He answered her prayer. 
And so her life, you could say, is directed by faith, and faith paid dividends for her. Here's a question. Are you burdened and struggling today? Have you prayed and prayed and prayed? And it seems like you're getting no answer? Are you on the verge of giving up? Well, guys, that's where Hannah was. Now, whether or not she was on the verge of giving up, I don't know. I do know that from the passage that there is this bitter weeping, this great sense of despair, this mocking that she was receiving that caused her to be so downcast that she was so unable to eat. Look, if this is where you are in life, like Hannah, we need to bring our needs to the Lord because He sees, He knows, and He cares. So come to Him and leave your burden there, and you may not get exactly what you are looking for, but I promise you that whether you get exactly what you're looking for or not, He's present, He knows, He cares. And if you're not getting that thing, just know that He's got something more for you than you could ever imagine. But we can receive peace when we press on towards Him for another day. Which brings us back to James chapter 5. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Do you know what James is saying here? Whether you're burdened or whether you are happy, go to the Lord. You're either praying or you're praising. Either way, we head to the throne. That's what we get from Hannah. It's not so much about promises being fulfilled uh, from her towards God. There's, there's no evidence of a promise towards her from God. But we know that God fulfills the desires of her heart and we know that she fulfills her promise. So sure, we can, we can talk about that. But I think more importantly, that when she was in her greatest distress, she didn't run from God, she ran to God. I think there's something in there for us. And when she was praising, like when she was happy, right? Woke up the next morning, what did they do? They praised the Lord. So whether she was in despair or whether she was worshiping, she went to the Lord. That's the model of things that we need to seek. Such a strong woman to be able to walk through that discouragement, that despair, that agony of her heart and seek the Lord and then praise Him even when she didn't get a definitive answer. There's something there for us. And so whether you are having a troubled heart or whether you are having a joyful heart or a happy heart, go to the throne. Either way. Because like he, he knows. He cares. He's, he's present. And He wants to meet with you. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. And I pray, Lord, that this story of Hannah's life can be an encouragement for us, not to run from you, but to run towards you. When we're experiencing our deepest despair, Lord, that we would run towards you, not away from you, because it is with you that we can find peace and encouragement. And Lord, whether when our, our lives are filled with just this happiness that we can experience, Lord, that we would be a people who would praise you. So Lord, that we would pray, 
in our difficulties, that we would praise in our joys. And either way, Lord, we would come into the throne room with confidence knowing that you see, that you know, and that you care. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen.